Hello, I'm Katie Piper, and welcome to my podcast, Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. Each episode, I'll meet an amazing person with an incredible story who faced adversity and came through the other side to inspire others. Each episode, I strive to find you somebody who matches the title, and today's guest does not disappoint. He is extraordinary because he is hugely talented, intelligent and insightful. But he has also carried out quite an extraordinary, well, I don't want to say stunt or experiment. I think I'm going to let him um, explain it in his own words. He's a makeup artist, fashion designer, drag artist, Elliot Rents. You might know him as Alexa Stone, his drag persona. Welcome to hey. the studio. Hey, it's so nice to be here. Oh, I'm so glad um, you came down from Manchester yep. today. You've been behind some phenomenal um, celebrity transformations yeah. with, with your makeup work. I mean, they are quite, you know, for anybody that hasn't seen them, first of all, where have you been living? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but when you watch your YouTube videos online, yeah. it really is like watching, well, it's an, it's art, isn't Thank it? You. Yeah, it's been a pretty crazy couple of years. Um, I obviously started doing drag years ago when I was 16. That's young, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, sort of sneaking into clubs as we were speaking out earlier yeah. uh, when I was living in London. So you and... go out to clubs full drag? Yeah, full drag. Who uh, taught you how to do it? So do you know Adam Burrell? Oh, he's done my makeup. Yeah, so I've known Adam for years. Uh, First night out was with Jodie Harsh, Adam. We went to Circus, which was Jodie's old club night. Yeah. Um, Snuck in, obviously, telling everyone I was uh, of age. Uh, And then ever since then, that sort of uh, addiction to that attention, Mm -hmm. uh, which every drag queen loves, um, has always... I've done it for years. And Um, would you have have the same look each time or would it be different? I guess when you're sort of... I would love to think I, I looked amazing back then, but you sort of like burn the photos and you forget like first time in drag. But, but I think that's just growing up in general. Yeah. You thought you looked great and you look back and you're like, wow. Oh my God, yeah. Like the two-toned fringe. and <laughs> um, Yeah, no, so I did that for years. This is self-taught in your bedroom? Everything. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Left school when I was 16. Mm-hmm. Um, moved straight to London where I started designing with my partner at the time who was a fashion photographer. Mm-hmm. So we were sort of like this powerhouse teenage uh, couple, which sort of was the forefront of my life then doing drag on the back burner not getting paid to do it just uh but super creative and oh absolutely yeah everything in my life as soon as i left school i knew i wasn't going to, go to college because i thankfully had like the creative mindset of i can just do it myself mm-hmm. and was this a pattern in your whole childhood was mm-hmm. it quite obvious you were creative yep I mean, I was lucky that my mum encouraged me to be the sort of flamboyant oh really mrs doubtfire child yeah. um it wasn't a case of like me wearing ladies' clothing. I would always want to wear like I wanted to be like an old woman, so I'd wear like an old lady's wig and a fat suit and clip really? into. Yeah, I was fascinated with um, disguise. Right. Okay. So drag is in essence a disguise for me. So, like you said, it's not about being girly. It was mm-hmm. about identity and. I guess so, or just the the art of transforming yourself into someone unrecognizable. I mm-hmm. loved that, and I think when you have issues in your life, the idea of hiding behind a mask. Mm-hmm. That has definitely carried through my entire life and yeah. will and will. So is it like a protective mm-hmm. layer? Perhaps? Or not so much protective, more just escapism. Right, okay. The same way when we go to a movie, we want to be sort of transported into a fantasy world for an hour. Mm-hmm. 
for however long I'm in drag or doing my transformations online, which is only 60 seconds on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, it's still that sort of ability to transform and transport into a different world. Did you have a world when you were growing up that you wanted to escape from then? Yeah. Uh, having an identical twin brother. Right. Um, and my mother, who was ill with mental health issues, um, addiction and right. um, other things... Um, growing up and sort of visiting my mum for years in rehab. Um, wow. I guess when you're a child and you have your mother taken away from you, mm-hmm. it's traumatising. So any any way that I could sort of run away into a fancy world, which my mum always encouraged, I think, because the reality then wasn't very appealing. Mm-hmm. So, and I guess, again, it's sort of carried through into my adult life. Who brought you up then if your mum was in rehab? Um... So my childhood is sort of like a blurred memory. Mm -hmm. Um, I never really understood the sort of timeline of it. But my mum fell ill for about four years and was Mm -hmm. in rehab. Um, I was living with my father, who is a very successful, wealthy Jewish man. Mm -hmm. Um, He has other family members, so children Mm -hmm. from other wives. Um, He obviously struggled with sort of having the crazy ex-wife and then the crazy two twins. Um, So as soon as my mum was released from rehab... Um, it was sort of a slow custody uh, mm-hmm. transition, and me and my brother really wanting to be with back with our mum. So How painful for you. Yeah, it was a a blurred childhood. Yeah, it's sort of you know, just sort of locked away. I guess the unnormal became your normal. Absolutely. I mean, not most people. I mean, you watch movies like Girl Interrupted, where there's men dressed head to toe in white, white shoes, white trousers, white t-shirt. That was the reality of my childhood: visiting my mum mm. and seeing my mum and the gifts being given from my mum were sort of like clay sculptures made in rehab. Yeah, in the so, workshops. And, yeah, yeah. So that's what I remember. And then um, I guess that, as you said, became my norm. Mm. So when I ended up in rehab myself when I was 19, I guess it was not only sort of me following my mother's footsteps in a in a weird, bizarre way, but also like burst that bubble of what I pres- presume to be normal. It's kind of your familiar place, which is an awful thing to say, isn't it? But yeah. almost like reassuring because it's all you ever knew if, yeah. if that was how you were raised. Absolutely. And we never had friends because yeah. my mum was either passed out drunk or um, the rule was we weren't allowed people in the house. So of course, yeah. we had to watch movies and transport ourselves into a fantasy world because we didn't have... Right. Anything else. We were always moving. Um, we were always the freaky twins with the crazy mum. So So did you feel like an outsider? Because, you know, if I think back at school, you'd go in, you'd talk about your weekend, you'd have photos at show and tell. And yeah. I guess that whole part was missing from yeah. your life. Yeah, and still is. Yeah. Like, yeah. we don't have family memories. Mm-hmm. Christmas was uh, something even now I just try and sleep through. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, it was always, it's always still something I find interesting where people talk about families and they talk about having a family meal and then bickering at the table and mm-hmm. like breakfast and the dad running off to work and everyone fighting over cereal. I'm just like, I can't relate. Like, yeah, even like those first world problems that people moan about. Yeah, you would probably have loved to have experienced. Oh my first god, yeah. Hand. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it really puts into perspective, doesn't it? The yeah. kind of bickery crap that people. Mm-hmm. It's just, a, I guess parents don't really think of what it does to the kids when you grow up in a broken family. And whilst my parents did the best that they could at the time, mm-hmm. um, they met on such unhealthy terms. I mean, my dad was married to a woman 
mm-hmm. prior. My mother was married to a man, and they did a wife swap. Right. They did a. Yeah. They were cheating on each other. They cheated on each other. So they met on the most bizarre, yeah. unhealthy, unstable. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, whilst I'm very glad to be here, they probably shouldn't have had children. Um, well, no, I disagree. Because yeah. Because that opposite me is a very successful, talented young man. Thank you. And it's all for, off your own back, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's phenomenal. But then I look at my twin brother, who's in prison and has been three times now. And again, like, I'm so lucky that I have my creativity and my sexuality was not encouraged, but embraced. Mm-hmm. As a as my twin brother being a straight guy, having family issues, for me it could have gone one way or the other. Yeah, I went down, I went to rehab, and then I got up and brushed myself off. It's just sad looking at my brother who, um, it's interesting seeing the sort of heterosexual and homosexual route that it's it's sort of like a, such a taboo subject for straight men to air their emotions mm-hmm. and to say like. I miss my mum or I miss my dad or I wish my childhood was differently. Mm. Um, so it's interesting seeing what pent-up anger and emotions can do. So was his outlet aggression and violence then? I guess so. And he sort of found his tribe within, like, drugs and... Yeah. What, um, what did he go to prison for then? Uh, there's been a couple of things. Um, violence and drugs mm. seems to be the overall thing. Um, he gets out soon. Um, Are I moved you in touch? Ish. Yeah. I mean, he talks to me from prison, um, right. which everyone seems to do. Yeah. Um, but it's funny, he, there are his security guards there, they know who I am. So it's nice. It's nice. And he has TV there. So when yeah. I did the project, um, oh, cool. he was okay. able to see it. Yeah. So you're not as strained as in you are on talking terms. You're... We're on talking terms. Yeah. But that's probably as much. But it's not a conventional no. sibling relationship. Absolutely not. So you said you left school at 16 mm-hmm. and then by 19 you yeah. were in rehab. What mm-hmm. happened from 16 to 19 then? Just being codependent, moving out of home when I was 16, moving to London. Was it a mistake to move to London or a good thing? Well, I didn't have a choice. I got kicked out of home. Um, started dating at a young age. Again, I guess that was me just trying to get as far away from home as possible. First mm-hmm. boyfriend was in Essex, actually. Oh, right. Uh, Southend by Sea. Is yeah, that right? Nice. Southend um, by Sea. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I moved to London, moved to Notting Hill Gate because I thought I was Mariah Carey. Um, <laughs> that lasted about a year. And then I moved Don't to Hackney Wick. Don't we all have a Mariah stage? Yeah. Like... <laughs> yeah. Then moved to Hackney Wick. So that shows my financial uh, <laughs> changes. Um, and then just being codependent and I guess clinging on to this girl interrupted lifestyle of I want to be crazy because that's my norm. Well, um, you didn't know. Yeah, you hadn't been taught any other way, I suppose. That was your role model, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, and like you said, it, it being your norm, like it didn't necessarily seem like a bad thing. Or, no. a, or a it was normal to me. Yeah. Crying, arguing. Yeah. All of that. Yeah. Um, well, if you're Ray, if you're raised on like drama, aggression, outbursts, you just copy that behaviour because it's learned yeah. behaviour, isn't it? Yeah, I was attracted to it. I thought yeah. of, I guess, in my head, it wasn't that I glamorised it. It was just the norm to me. Mm-hmm. Um, the moment I got into rehab, it was like my world turned upside down. I realised the years of sort of expecting the outcome to be what it was, to being like, okay, I'm surrounded by people who. It's, I don't want to say people that have got issues, but when you're surrounded in a place where people are doing cartwheels in the garden and, like, screaming... It's um, quite scary. Yeah. And then I realised, okay, 
like my life isn't that bad. Mm. What did you go to rehab for then? What was the diagnosis? So I came out of a relationship which ended really violently. I ended up getting stabbed in the rib cage. My goodness. Um, wow. With a piece of skirting board. And so were the injuries quite bad? Were you The okay? injuries uh, was only an overnight in hospital. So I just had to have pieces removed. Um, there was a bite wound, which they were more concerned about because of um, the hepatitis and everything. Yeah. Um, just the trauma of somebody, like to stab somebody is quite forceful. You lunge at them with an object and you impale it into them. That's yeah. quite traumatic. Well, to like rip skirting board off the wall, snap it in half with <laughs> your knee and then to plunge it in. Yeah. But I mean, I had my I had my part to play in that. Um, like, it's still someone I care about, and he's a good guy. I guess I just. What, what do you mean you had your part to play? Like, whatever happens, someone doesn't deserve violence. No, I do agree. It. it was a turbulent year, um, mm. and that was obviously the outcome. It wasn't a dramatically violent year. It was just a very violent, aggressive outburst. Like the boiling the point. Of, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, like we'd left London, moved to Gloucestershire to sort of, that was the final let's try. Yeah. And that just went completely tits up. Right. And so then straight after that, I went to rehab. For alcohol, drugs? Um, depression after a overdose. Wow. Okay. Not a suicide, not a suicide attempt though. What did you overdose on? Uh, my antidepressants. Right. Okay. So I guess that, I don't know. I guess when you feel like you've lost everything, your relationship, your home, your lover, your best friend, Mm. And I found myself in London at a friend's house. It was just a sort of, I want to be happy. Like, I want to be normal. And I used yeah. to say, I want to be normal every day. Yeah. Also, I feel like you're very isolated because if you don't have um, siblings or a mum and dad that you can pick the phone up to and say, shit's hit the fan, yeah. don't know what to do, feeling depressed, don't, yeah. want, don't want an answer, just want to, like, rant. Yeah. You know, if you don't have that, mm-hmm. then where where do you turn to? It's quite lonely. Yeah. So you took the antidepressants not to kill yourself, but thinking... I just needed... I don't know. I I guess when you're given a happy tablet in the morning, you think, well, if I take all of them, it's going to do something. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're desperate, aren't you? You're desperate. Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah. Like, I thought my life... I I just didn't see past that day. Um, And you're so young at that point. Yeah. Like, life's for some people. If you're from, like, a middle-class background where you've got all the support in the world, this is the exciting world's mm-hmm. your oyster time, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. You know, and your world was... Not so. Closing in on you, I guess. Yeah. Like, well, it's weird. I We spend our entire youth trying to be older, and I wanted that sort of, like, perfect relationship where we got excited over, like, a new pesto sauce for dinner. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> and then the older I'm getting, the more I'm like, okay, I want to have that childhood that I never did. So it's interesting. Um, so who sent you to rehab? Were you self-admitted? I was voluntarily voluntarily sectioned myself. And then when I was in rehab, I was explained everything. At, like first thing in the morning after like three hours sleep, um, woken up, taking medication. And then I went and sat on the grounds. Um, and I guess I was just sort of like, what the fuck has, what have I done with my life? Like I'm in rehab. It was a big thing to section yourself. Mm-hmm. I I had no option. Like, the doctor said to me, like, are you a harm to yourself? And at that time, I guess I was. Mm. Um, I only recently got my medical notes after, like, 10 years. It's hard to get your notes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was private. Luckily, it was private. So um, I had to even pay to get those released. Mm -hmm. And when I was in rehab, having never self-harmed or understood why people self-harm, I ended up sticking my hand in the kettle and... still to this day no idea why i guess when you just have no sense of of being of Mm. being 
I guess it was me in attempt to sort of feel something. Yeah, to check to check your alive to check your yeah. feeling because people have hurt you for so long mm-hmm. it's become normal you're not feeling the pain mm-hmm. so it's like a tester isn't it well i felt like i had to do something crazy like i felt like i had to do something crazy to <clears throat> prove that i was crazy yeah and then the moment i did i was obviously then put under a section act two so i wasn't allowed i wasn't allowed to leave after that point so you're no longer voluntarily there no. you're there say the government yeah so a doctor and a therapist mm-hmm. or psychologist assesses you and says yeah. you're a harm to other people now not just yourself so um i thought i had like an emotional breakdown before rehab until yeah. i and then when i got there and they because i packed my bags i was like i'm leaving yeah. um and then when they said you can leave now but you'll be back in 15 minutes with the place i think that was like a oh my god like what, what am i doing yeah um how long were you there in total then? I was there for two weeks. They wanted to transfer me back to Gloucestershire, which they knew was going to be a step back. Um, I rung my mum. She explained sort of like how to break the system. She Has said, your mum ever got clean? Yeah, my mum's sober now. Uh, completely sober, has been for years. <laughs> um, attends AA. She, it's incredible how she's changed her life around. And um, it took me years to understand she's not trying to be like a malicious nasty like a bitch of a mum she's just programmed a little differently yeah um well i guess you understand addiction absolutely now i do most people probably nobody chooses to to be an addict um and like you said it's an outlet for pain Mm -hmm. um when you were in rehab in those two weeks did anyone visit you i had visits from my grandma she visited once and then I told the reception that I didn't want her visiting anymore. Why is that? My family are all sort of against each other. Okay. Grandma blames my mother, dad blames my mum, mum's mm-hmm. the only person who takes responsibility. So it just became a big me sat there, sort of numb to the world, listening to them bicker. Yeah, because families are so complex. They're not the Christmas videos that we see, you know, they're no. not happy families, are they? They no. have all their own issues yeah you said your mum advised you how to break the system i'm intrigued well i was i think after a week i was very keen to get out and i was put on one-to-one so i was watched whilst i went to the bathroom had a shower slept ate which is very dehumanizing what mm-hmm. when someone's watching you like wipe your ass like mm-hmm. it, <sighs> I've, I've been there yeah i know you lose your dignity yeah it can make you lose your self-respect mm-hmm. and oh. as a 19 year old who had already an online platform and was designing, mm. there was like a, a level of ego there. Of course, of yeah. being self-made and being self-righteous. And then the moment I spoke to my mum and she said, look, the moment you help yourself, they're going to see that and they're going to want to help you. So I started going to all the therapy sessions and then I started telling all the other patients who wanted to come off one-to-one. They were like, how do we do it? And I said, look, if they see that you're helping yourself, they're mm. going to be more. So like the next day, I'll never forget it. No one went to therapy other than me. The next morning, every single patient went to therapy. Oh, my God. You're the best PR ever. Yeah, right. And it was very much sort of girl-interrupted. But I remember it because my doctor was called Dr. Hart, ironically. Mm-hmm. Um, and he called me into his office and he said, like, do you have any idea why every patient's going to therapy now? And I just said, like, maybe they want to help themselves. So um, it was like a life-changing experience. And whenever I'm stressed engaged, out. engaged, I guess. That's why. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. And it was fun. Like, they had, like, dog therapy where they brought puppies in yeah. and... Um, they had art sessions and yoga and um, there were it was a mixed group of people that had people with schizophrenia or addiction mm-hmm. um, autistic um, or autism rather 
So it was good. It was um, Signet Hospital. And you um, didn't have a substance addiction at not this Not then. Point. No. Not then at all. Okay. No, it was... I was diagnosed um, with emotionally unstable personality disorder. Mm-hmm. So um, lots of up and downs. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I go from extreme high, I go to an extreme low, which I still have. It's just managed now to a really... It took years. Mm-hmm. Um taking every antidepressants trial and error mm. um it was only maybe the last six months that i went private again okay because since entering sobriety i was like well that thousand pounds that i would spend on doing cocaine mm-hmm. on a night out which i could have easily have done i can now invest that into something that's going to change my life for the better like therapy yeah so yeah. it was just about moving uh one thing to the other and, and finding a healthy addiction right which okay. is what aa is is you replacing going to the bar to a meeting yeah um, I don't get on with AA um, okay. just because I find it quite intense. I'm still yeah. young, so yeah, you're only 25. Yeah, you? yeah. So you left rehab um, in a better place. Mm-hmm. Debatable. <laughs> Debatable. Okay. I convinced them that I was better um, or on the right track, mm-hmm. um, and no one would sign as my next of kin. My mum, my dad wouldn't. My grandma wouldn't. Why? I don't know. I guess the responsibilities. So my friend at the time had to sign for it. Which That's quite was, hurtful. Yeah, which is something that stuck with me. But again, you can't pick your parents. Um, but if you're already feeling lonely, yeah, that quite cements that feeling, yeah, doesn't it? Absolutely. That's really hard. Well, I knew when I left the nest, there was like no going back. Yeah. Which is a scary thought. Mm-hmm. So, like you said, you did have a bit of the platform before rehab, yep. and you were creative, and you were, you know, you were on a successful pathway. Mm-hmm. So, what happened post rehab? What was next? Moved to Brighton, um, which is my hometown. Yeah, Yeah. which is my hometown. Um, Then I started drinking. That's when I never partied in London, never drank. Mm. Um, I guess because London's so expensive, you have to work like six days a week. Um, So drinking, unless you're given like a free bottle to host a party. Um, That was my only sort of introduction to drinking. But when I moved to Brighton, like any opportunity to go out, what like, would you drink? What would you drink? Anything and everything. Okay. Vodka, sambuca. Whatever was going. Anything. And Brighton's yeah. like pennies. Yeah. Compared, compared to, London. to London. Yeah. Um. So I started drinking a lot. Um. Then of course I fell in love again. Right. Um, okay. Do you fall in love easily? I. Yeah. Am I allowed? To, yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's a bad thing, is it? Opening up, like, it's better to be able to open your heart than to cut your heart off. Yeah. I definitely wear my heart on my sleeve. Yeah. Um, I don't mince my words um, romantically, yeah. not with aggression, but um, fell in love, was still very unstable. Um, my self worth was like non existent. I was sort of like a trophy boy at the time, having done modelled briefly, mm-hmm. um, being sort of like this relatively attractive blonde, blue eyed twink at the time. Yeah, which is quite like desirable in the gay world. Yeah. Right? And emotionally unstable, which men seem to love. Right. Yeah. Vulnerable. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Were you an antidepressant still? Still antidepressants. I okay. uh, was on sertraline for years, mm-hmm. which affects everything your sexual libido, the way you sleep at night. Right. Um, so I was still very shut off from everything. Mm-hmm. Um, stopped designing because it just, I guess I just connected that to a negative part of my life. Right. That's sad. Yeah. Well, designing was fun, but for me it was about creating monsters. Right. Okay. So designing was fun, but the fashion industry is so fickle, I find. Like, right. The conversations I would have. And designing went so well. I got to design clothes for like Lady Gaga and Pamela oh Anderson gosh. and right. Italian Vogue. So You peaked. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I ticked off. It wasn't that I wanted to become a household name and... I just wanted to tick off a few boxes, my childhood dreams, which 
thank God, God knows how I did. Well, that's quite amazing. The little boy that raised himself in front of the videos uh-huh. and the DVDs, having the photos like stuck on my ceiling. Yeah, and then to go and do that. Yeah. I mean, you must. Did you get the high? Did you feel elated and proud? Oh God, yeah. I've always had this weird thing that no matter how obscene the goal is, I will achieve it. So did it not help your self-worth knowing I got here alone and I'm credible and I've done this off my own back? I guess so. But like anything with me, like my extreme highs are so high, mm-hmm. like could cry with joy to tomorrow being like the the lowest I've ever been, questioning everything, yeah, what am I doing? Yeah. But I get that because I feel like, you know, we see lots of high achievers and famous people you know, having this kind of troubled life. And I think it is those extreme highs. If you go out on stage or you do so, well, a bucket list thing quite regularly, yeah. you've got to have those major lows. You know, Absolutely. It's the yin to the yang, isn't it? It's the it? wanting more. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting, the same way we've sort of normalised negativity online and the way we read things, we've also normalised our achievements and compliments, which I find just as interesting. Okay. Like... People say, like, you can have a hundred compliments, but that one negative will stand out. Oh, I go searching, but then yeah. I literally scroll past the good ones. But that's what I mean, terrible? though. Yeah. We don't even acknowledge the compliments because mm-hmm. we're used to them. And that sounds so... Blase. Yeah, but it, yeah. it's it, it's so interesting that we, we search for those negative comments. Um, I mean, and I'm the same. Yeah, I mean, we now know... The internet is a place that allows people to operate without empathy. Absolutely. So we go looking, you know, if you look up the definition of psychopath, it's somebody that operates without empathy. Yeah. And when we go looking yeah. for that non-empathetic, that you know, you're this, you're that, destroy yourself, I want to destroy you, one. And then we find it, ah, got it, there it is, yeah. you know. And then we focus on it, even if it's like the ratio is like 90%, 10% yeah. negative, it's, yeah. it's mad. So you're in Brighton, you're drinking heavily. Are you aware you're drinking heavily? Or no, I think I was just sort of, I missed it during my teenage years. So I just, yeah. I definitely made up for it in a short amount of time. Well, that's the thing. It's kind of normalised anyway on, on the scene, isn't it? Yeah. It's not a big, like, a big red flag that you're spiralling out of yeah. control. Well, drinking, it was definitely a way of me suppressing things, mm-hmm. which is only, t- it took me years to realise that. Um, and drinking makes you feel like shit. Like, if you get depressed anyway, yeah. you know, you get more anxious, Absolutely. more depressed. Yeah. And I had dabbled in drugs then. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing major. I think when you when when you say you've suffered like a drug addiction or substance abuse, I think people think the first thing that pops their mind is, well, they must be injecting mm. or it wasn't that. Like it's still bad. I was still doing cocaine and yeah. other substances, but um I wasn't waking up every morning and having a, a line for breakfast and mm-hmm. things like that. But it was obviously something that I had no control over. Or stopping. My issue was stopping. I mean, I have friends or have known people that have been able to go out, dabble, and then go to sleep and go to work the next day. Yeah, people function. Yeah, that wasn't. I would be days. So at your at your at your worst and in the height of say the cocaine, mm-hmm. what? How many grams would you take, and how many days would you be high? Uh, I could easily get through like four grams in two days. My goodness! Yeah. Wow. And were you getting palpitations or symptoms? Uh, yeah, I was hospitalised three times. What, with heart issues? Yeah. So, an overdose. <sighs> That's scary. Yeah. That's so when young. things had to, like, change. And it was starting to affect, like, every element of my life. You were becoming aggressive? or? Um, I was acting like a monster. Right. I became a monster. And I think when Alexis Stone blew up online, mm. um, I created... I mean, it's Alexis Stone. Stone to be cold and... I wanted to give off this very basic instinct vibe and mm-hmm. 
that doesn't get translated well online. And when you spit venom from years of being in a toxic place, which I can do, even today, um, and you're called a monster and you're expected to act a certain way because that's who you are now and there's no redemption once you've been tarnished with that brush, Mm -hmm. as soon as drugs or alcohol was introduced, I would be a monster. I would say vile, inappropriate things. Mm -hmm. I would... Oh, makes my skin crawl thinking about it, but... Yeah, it was. It got out of hand because the word "monsters" coming up like lots of a times lot. in lots of different capacities. Yeah. But maybe that's because that's a reflection on your child, you know, in your childhood in the early days that you felt that described you or your parents that or you were in a monstrous situation. Definitely. I mean, we can't we can't be held. I don't. People, this is controversial. People won't agree with me on this, but this is my opinion. I don't think we can be held accountable for the things we say when we're under the influence of alcohol or drugs because it's not us. It's like um, it's like old pain seeping through every crack and every wound and just yeah. oozing out. I agree. Just, just it's just complete diarrhea. You know, I agree. it's not like representative of our views or or what we think of other people. And it's so people always say, well, when you're drunk, that's when the truth comes out. It's, it's not, not. It's so, not. It's a mind altering drug. Of yeah. course, that's not the bloody truth, is Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Like, come on, that's just actually a load of rubbish and resentment and anger. You know, yeah. It's not. Picking up that first drink is my choice. Yeah. And that's why I'm sober now. Not because I was an alcoholic. I was just dependent. So. It, the only power I have over alcohol is not picking up that first drink, which mm-hmm. means that I have power over not saying something that I'm not in control of. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when you're subjective to so many insults. I mean, I'm sure we both have seen and read the most obscene, monstrous things. Yeah. And that gets programmed into our brain. So imagine if you went out now, you're in a bad mood, you drink more than your body weight and mm-hmm. substances, and someone says something, that stored up negativity, you're going to... That happens to me. Yeah, yeah. I, can't, I can't drink, drink. Like, I, I mean, I do drink, but I have had years where I've decided to abstain and be sober. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't drink around people I don't know very well. I wouldn't go out, like, yeah. to a bar and get really drunk. Mm-hmm. Like, if I did drink, it would be at home with people I know. Yeah. And it's not always a positive experience for me. Okay. And Even I, now, is it not? Yeah, definitely not. And okay. It, and it is exactly like you said, to do with past pain, past trauma, things stored in your mind that yeah. have been either done to you or said to you. Yeah. Um. So I can't kind of trust myself on it. Yeah, you know? it's scary. Yeah, because you are out of control if you take any kind of substance. You know, yeah. Alcohol is a drug, you know. Do you feel like you've got a healthy relationship with alcohol now? No. Not at all? No, not at all. I can drink at home and stop myself. I mean, my husband's like a gym-going six-pack person, <laughs> so he doesn't encourage, like, drinking. Yeah. So I can have, like, two drinks and stop because he wouldn't overdrink anyway. Yeah. But I wouldn't want to go... Yeah, I mean, he's a good influence. Like, I wouldn't want to go to a club and just yeah. mindlessly drink shots, Binge everything. Because yeah. yeah, I'd be scared about what I would be like or what yeah. would happen and the anxiety the next day. Absolutely. But I am old, you know. Like, that was like, I'm too no. old to go out and get drunk. So how did you get sober... Like, do, do you abstain completely or do yep, you? Yeah, 10 months sober. I think oh, it's wow. 302 days today. Yeah. That's a big achievement. So yeah. You, you didn't go to rehab, you just did it. It was an option. Um, I was very blessed that one of the brands that I'm working with who had experienced me at my worst right. offered, um, which was incredibly heartwarming because any other brand would completely cut ties. Um, but I'm very blessed that the people involved with that brand know my good heart mm-hmm. um 
So I just, I'm very black and white in the sense that when I want something, I will just do it. So I woke well, up. So a brand offered to pay to put you in rehab? Yeah, the that, owner. That restores my faith in society. Yeah, it was... Of th- that was probably the most emotional part of it because I'd already ruined every other element of my life my relationships mm-hmm. friendships money all oh, gone work people just cut you dead when yeah. you've got issues oh they well any anything online whether it's you bickering with someone mm-hmm. brands will run a million miles away because we live in such a scary time of um being so politically correct because things are so politically incorrect. Well, also, they all bang on about supporting diversity and mental no. health. And it's like, do you know what real mental health looks like? Yeah. Real mental health is ugly. Um, people attach Spending shame to it. days in bed. Yeah, like it's not a beautiful campaign. Yeah. Um, and most people, um, when you have real mental health problems and display them, will actually turn away from you, troll you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like some fluffy thing you can fundraise for and do a nice 10K run. Yeah. You know, so well, people always say to me, like, you can't keep using that as an excuse i'm like it's not an excuse you've asked me why i'm giving you an explanation it, yeah if i had a leg cast and you asked me to run i couldn't yeah so if you're asking me to tolerate negativity from hundreds of thousands of people a month mm. i'm explaining to you why i can't deal with that mm-hmm. and then the argument is well don't be online i'm like uh, well, why should i limit my showcasing my art yeah because of and it's not a, a flaw it's my brain is just wired a little differently i lack serotonin mm-hmm. i'm not a by nature, extremely positive person. So well, I've, understandably. Yeah, so I'm trying to carve out a purpose to be positive. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't have my creativity, I would not be here today. Like, for a fact. So that's been your saviour. Absolutely. I mean, look at my brother. Yeah, well, yeah, and your twins, and you've had the same upbringing. Identical twins. Yeah. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, nothing. No tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. So let's talk about your creativity. So for people um, that aren't familiar with you, you are you are famous. You're, you've got a huge following on YouTube, Instagram, and your creativity, um, you've kind of made this... Is it an alter ego? Is yeah. that right? Alexa Stone? Yeah. I remember you, your transformation of Kim Kardashian. Yeah. You will literally paint the celeb's face... On top of mine. On top of yours. So it's 2D. Right, So it okay. only works from, like, the face on with certain lighting. Um, but before makeup i used to be a digital retoucher so i used to look at faces every day and the ideal like standard of beauty was like Mm -hmm. what i was forced to retouch and tweak blemishes or scars or moles and um so proportions of the face is something i've always been fascinated with and even when i talk to people i'm always like studying like the spaces between like their eyes and lips and um and I said to my flatmate, I'm sure I can make myself look like other people. Okay. And then, alas, I did one, posted it online, and it went viral. Who was the first one? Uh, Nikki Tutorials, who's a beauty uh, makeup artist. Yeah, yeah, she's really talented, yeah. And then the addiction side of me kicked in, and I was doing, like, two a day every day cool, for 11 quite months. consuming, though. Like, was... Oh, God, yeah. It was, like, the, the, the rush of attention was just, like, very pleasing. What sort of attention did you get? So when it first went viral... Uh, that was on everything. It was on like MTV in like eleven different countries. That was with Cosmopolitan, L. It blew Vogue. up. It did blow up. 
Um, and being a man in makeup back then was such a novelty. Yeah, it's I mean, it two was years insane. ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, and did the celebrities reach out to you? Yeah. Who? So. I guess the moment that it all changed was like when Kim Kardashian noticed it all. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, my God, that's quite And major. all she did, yeah. all she had to do was like my share transformation. Yeah. And that was enough for, it's like school and the popular kids. That was enough for people to think, well, if Kim Kardashian likes it, then it must be good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then like hearing from people like Glenn Close's team saying that Glenn loved the transformation, who yeah. is people that I really respect. Not that I don't respect Kim, but like yeah. Glenn Close and like watching 101 Dalmatians. Um, yeah, and it's recognition for your talent, yeah. isn't it? And actually, you didn't have a childhood where your parents helped you with your homework, praised, praised your... Me. Yeah, and saw yeah. your school projects, helped you revise for your GCSEs. Yeah. And here you are with, you know, whatever people think of you or your channel, yep. you can't not look at it and say, he, he you've got a talent, you know, you. whatever people think you have, yeah. and they can't take that away from you. Thank so you. to have that recognition, I mean, that's probably, for every artist, important, but slightly more important for you. Yeah, I mean, it means, people always say, like, is that why I do it? It's not why I do it. Is it a nice, like, cherry on top? Of course it is. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, my life has changed because of it, from having people... Like Jocelyn Wildenstein, who's yeah. someone that I've always found interesting and read every interview. I remember when her fiance reached out to me, and I—that's the first time I've like cried, like running around my house at three in the morning, like vibrating, just being like Jocelyn Wildenstein wants to meet me. Can you tell for anyone who doesn't know who that is? Can you explain who that is? So Jocelyn Wildenstein is a socialite mm -hmm. from New York mm -hmm. who is known who is known for extensive plastic surgery. Mm -hmm. So people will know her as the, the famous cat lady or yeah. the bride of Frankenstein, yeah. which people seem to have tarnished her with. It's the When I get trolled, it's what I get called. No way. Um, it's always what people call me no online. No way. Yeah, because it's society's version of somebody that's had too much plastic surgery. I, th I feel that's what they think, you know. I mean, people, people that aren't sort of have any experience with surgery yeah i can understand it. and i think growing up as a child luckily i was a not luckily mm. i was subjective to being around people who had picked a more cosmetic route right okay um but people have this idea of you can only have plastic surgery if you're perceived to be ugly yeah okay. which i've always found fascinating like right. jocelyn wildenstein was never an unattractive woman mm -hmm. she was a woman with a, a fortune like mm -hmm. 2.7 billion dollars right. and then 10 million dollars every year like after her famous divorce case and when you live a certain life and aging is sort of perceived negative mm -hmm. back back then it's still apparent now surgery was almost like a you would say i'm going to the dentist which yeah. was code for i'm going to have some botox or filler so right i don't know plastic surgery obviously after my last project has been um, an interesting thing to sort of discuss. Well, let's talk about that project yeah. because, I mean, that that is now not what you're most famous for. Because well, you're fam I, th I think so. Well, I, I mean, I knew of you before it, yeah. you know. Tell us what you did because this is, this is quite mind-blowing. I had to watch about eight videos until I got my head around it. Yeah. So two weeks into sobriety, I rung my friend David Marty, who's an Oscar award-winning makeup artist. Mm -hmm. He did movies like Pan's Labyrinth and Hellboy. Um, and I just said to him, I need a face. Like and I wanted to recreate my Mrs. Doubtfire fantasy. Right. I said I need a face, so okay. flew to Barcelona, started sculpting the life cast, and well, um, has it been expensive doing this? Uh yeah. How much does it cost to get one uh, mold made then? So a stunt mask like the one that you saw in my video that mm. could cost anywhere from I want to say like fifteen to twenty five thousand. Oh my gosh! Wow. I mean that's. 
and that's an Oscar award winning yeah. price. That's not how much I paid. Um, it was like a four month project, so mm-hmm. it added up. Um, and time consuming if you were flying to Barcelona. Oh my god, and- yeah, it probably took about three months, four months to sort of get a first face. Yeah. Um, so you went through all these stages of building these masks. So you had masks that were like bruised and swollen. Yep. You went as far as to buy hospital gown, yeah, bandages. Everything. On Amazon? or Amazon, yeah. And then you put up a fake photo of you in a fake hospital bed. My sofa in a lounge. So it was actually your sofa, but yeah. it looked like yeah. hospital. Yeah. So that photo, you were pretending you'd had extreme plastic, plastic surgery. surgery. In reality, it was prosthetics. Yep. And then you kept getting updated masks with less bruising, less swelling. Yeah. So they, the first one I wore was a stunt mask, which is just a hard version. So I could take it on and off when I wanted to quickly run to the shops. And then in videos, I had to wear prosthetics. Each piece was uh, stuck on, then painted, then put more makeup on top. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they went straight in the bin after. So it was one time use. Wow. So that's where it started to add up. And how were people reacting when you were revealing this new swollen face? Oh, God. People... All my friends ran away. Like, oh, really? Your yeah. real life friends? Uh-huh. I only told five people about the project. And, and they the, all the signed. The truth about the project. Yeah. yeah. So my mum, my partner at the time, my flatmate and best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and they all signed on disclosures. So mm-hmm. um, they were obviously sort of bound. So why did people run away from you? What? Why? They were just terrified. I think when they saw me ra- rising up with my work, mm-hmm. I knew I was going to lose majority of everything I had worked for doing this project and some people only stick around for the good stuff. It's quite a big risk because if you're living off your uh, social Uh media... Oh, I lost it all. Yeah, like financially it's a big risk. Professionally, your reputation... Uh I lost it all. People are shocked by the comments I got on the project but I keep reminding people I have that today Uh without the face and I had it done before the project which is why it sort of not frustrated me that I understood it was going to get translated as as a social media experiment it didn't take much for people to show their true colours. Yeah. It took a little bit of silicone and me saying I've had plastic surgery for people to leave the most... And it goes past the point of people saying, you're ugly, you're addicted to plastic surgery. I mean, people were telling me, like, I was going to meet my ex-boyfriend in hell who committed suicide. I mean, people wow, people went for the juggler and it doesn't bother me because I know the people that leave the comments are just idiots and... um but it does put a sting in your tail and it it especially does for me and someone that on top of that has emotionally unstable personality disorder Mm -hmm. people said to me throughout the whole thing like why do you take it so personally i'm like it's personal i've lost everything doing this project and people it it went past the way i looked um i've built up thick skin over the years and people i always say people either think i'm the symbol of beauty or people going to think i'm the spawn of meg the swamp witch so so for people that would say you did the hoax you did is it right to call it a hoax or not i mean people say it's a lie and i've always had a bad it was a performance the performance let's call it the performance so for people that say you did the performance for followers which i did i lost almost a hundred thousand yeah that's what shocked me you actually lost followers didn't gain some some came back though when you revealed it was within a week they all came back right okay so this is your chance to say why did you do it i had to my reality when I started the project, was not appealing to me. Mm-hmm. Two weeks in sobriety, dealing with everything I'd been suppressing, had a major drug overdose. I had to submerge myself in a fantasy world that was more than just binge-watching binge movies. Mm. So I had to become it. I had mm-hmm. to become the character behind Mrs. Doubtfire. I had to become the man behind the monster. 
I had to execute everything I've ever wanted to do. And I had to invest my money in something that was not financially rewarding, because it wasn't, Mm -hmm. that was stimulating for me. Mm -hmm. So I submerged myself in this crazy world, taking the narrative that had been written by other people about me online. And at the time, it was meant to be a a big finger up at the end. Mm. And then towards the end of it, it was just spending time with David at his studio. It just reminded me that this is the power of makeup. This is the world I wanted to be in. Mm -hmm. Movie makeup, creating something from scratch and bringing it to life and the biggest thing i found so interesting right for me the um performance yeah. was all about beauty and what we yep. determined as beautiful mm-hmm. and how we're kind of dictated to by the beauty industry and yep. the fashion industry but if you look at some celebrities say like the kardashians yeah. they perhaps might have had quite a lot of surgery all of them yeah and you've transformed yourself into some of those women and you've reaped praise and admiration because their faces are what we consider Perceived. beautiful yeah. they have the symmetry they have the aesthetic yeah. and and so that's all wonderful you get your likes you get your comments yeah. and you're hailed as a master but it's not that doesn't stimulate me at all <clears throat> okay so then you go and transform yourself okay it's fake but you do it with prosthetics you yeah. pretend it's real and you look what society would say as uh, botched yeah. surgery feline extreme yeah. beverly housewives kind yeah. of facelift yeah. look and people go nuts at you and yeah. they, they tell you in the comments section to kill yourself yeah. you're crazy you're a psycho you don't deserve to live i mean really obscene uh-huh. extreme stuff and really the public are just outraged because you're not fitting into the demographic of what they consider beautiful yeah. both looks have been achieved by just as much surgery yep absolutely well it's almost like you're allowed to make things smaller mm-hmm. on the face but as soon as you make it bigger then it doesn't make sense. Yeah. So I made my chin bigger. I made my cheeks bigger. I made my eyes slightly more slanted. I made my nose smaller. I made my forehead slightly bigger. Obviously, it was enhanced with makeup, but what was quite interesting, we didn't actually add that much clay onto my actual face. Mm -hmm. So just, again, being pushed towards that narrative. Mm -hmm. And I, that was the most beautiful I've ever felt. So in the prosthetics. Yeah. The most confident. Why? Why? I had achieved my idea of beauty. And I was going to get all of that surgery for real before I was sober. And now you're not? Nope. It was booked in. Like cheek yeah. implants, custom chin implant, a second rhinoplasty. So why did you cancel it? I guess when you're paying homage to someone, I struggled with blur- that blurred line mm. of I want to pay homage to someone. Because I forgot who Elliot was mm-hmm. through for about two years when Alexis Stone blew up. Mm. I mean, I was in drag every other day. Um, Elliot was put on the back burner. He was sort of buried. Mm. So I got carried away with the Lexus, the filler, the Botox, the mm. wanting to go down the surgical route. Um, I was shaving my eyebrows off. I was shaving my hair off. Like, yeah. I, I looked very bizarre okay. unless I was in drag. So the moment I entered sobriety, I was like, what am I doing? I was like, drag is so clearer. fickle. I was yeah. like, it's for what? Instagram? Like, yeah. for what? Um you said when you had the mask on, you felt the most beautiful uh-huh. you'd ever felt. Yep. What is your perception of beauty? What 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 do you determine as beautiful? Um, my idea of beauty is someone that owns whatever they do. Mm. So if someone has a, a, the confidence yeah. in saying, "I look different, but I am mm-hmm. beautiful," that I think confidence is the most sex, the sexiest trait about someone. And, yeah. Um, that authenticity and yeah, I mean, we all alter our image. Mm-hmm. Anyone that wears makeup in the morning, anyone that straightens their hair, 
we are altering our natural image. Yeah. There was one thing you said, right? And it was in a video. So I don't know if this is true. It was in yeah. the video when you were... So it was a spoof video because you were yeah. talking about you were going to have this surgery. The video was called The Change. Yep. And you talked about that you didn't connect with what you see in the mirror yep. and you didn't see yourself. So was that just part of the build-up or is that real? No, that was real. Yeah, because I really... like It gave me a lump in my throat because I remember after I was burnt looking yep. in the mirror the first time yeah. and I didn't see me. Yep. And then part of my therapy has been to connect, connect. with my new self which is yeah. quite hard to do uh-huh. are you are you connected now i'm getting there yeah i'm getting there it's it's so hard like part of my questions like is it the medication i'm on like i'm, yeah. medi- I'm obviously on the medication to keep me a little bit numb mm. um i don't know it's not even just myself it can be my surroundings like i can acknowledge the fact that i'm sat here with you now yeah but i don't so much feel connected well, it's an um, ongoing struggle, I think, isn't it? It's a, yeah. it's a difficult journey. Yeah. I can only imagine I can only imagine what you went through in comparison to me having a cosmetic surgery that went a little bit wrong. Yeah, but people always wrongly assume that I would be anti cosmetic surgery. Yep. So so people say, Oh, you must hate people that have a nose job mm. or a chin implant and they don't need it because everything's happened to you. And I'm like, no, of course I don't. Like, you know, there's loads of things I love about this country. There's yeah. some things I disagree with. But one of the things I love is that we have freedom of choice. Uh-huh. And actually, the minute we take that away from people, I don't want to live in a country like that. Yeah. Who am I to judge other people? And Absolutely. if something brings somebody clarity, confidence, happiness, mm. then I'm supportive of that, you yeah. know? Because so. it's interesting how... Cosmetic surgery can either be used to completely enhance or transform or be used in a sort of, I don't like the word restoration purpose, but um, whether it's reconstructive. Was there a point where you were involved with cosmetic surgery where you thought, okay, now that I've had this, why don't I tweak this just for my own beauty sake? Yeah, I mean, I have had cosmetic surgery before I was burnt. So when okay. I yeah, so when I was younger, I had a boob job, yep. which you know I was like, I thought I was quite rebellious and radical, <laughs> you know, like yeah. Um, and actually, now I'm older, I actually regret it. I wish really, I'd, yeah, I wish because I've now like had kids and stuff. Yep. I, I wish I just stayed with what I had. What I had was fine. Yeah. Um, and then since having surgery, I've had things like fillers and mm-hmm. Botox, but it hasn't really been that effective. Um. But in terms of like having other surgeries, now I try to not have any surgery because yep. I spent so many years in bandages, recovering, yeah. getting infections, being ill. Yeah. I've got kids now. I couldn't for years. I couldn't earn money. I couldn't work. So I don't want the recovery. Yeah. It's so it's, yeah. So it's not about being anti. It's just like I spent my whole twenties in hospital. Yeah. It's so not fun. Yeah. I'm kind of done with it. You know. That's understandable. Yeah. And there is a psychological side of like anesthetic makes you quite depressed. You know. Well, no one talks about post-surgery depression. Yeah. And it is I can't fun. handle it. You know. So yeah. I've, I've, I've I've been depressed enough. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, I'll just stick with, with how I... I mean, yeah. I have I had surgery like three weeks ago. Yeah. Um, just on my um, arm, my neck and my okay. eye. And it was just to release like like tight scar tissue. Yeah. So my surgery is quite dull. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm sat here now with a nose cast on recovering yeah. from a surgery. Yeah. But like, who is any of us to make judgment on other people's decisions? You've obviously documented all of this. But the one yeah. thing you haven't talked loads about is the aftermath mm-hmm. of this performance. Yeah. What now? So, two minutes, I can't remember if it was two minutes into, no, it was two minutes into 2019, I tore my face off, uh, like frantically tried to open my laptop and post it. Um, (laughs) So this was the prosthetic mask coming off. Yeah, Yeah, and I wasn't going to do it, I was going to keep it on for another six months, Mm -hmm. Um, but people were starting to suss it out. So, uploaded that, 
uh, gained approval. It sort of went to sort of like mainstream media, which yeah. I didn't think it was going to do actually. So Ooh, it went far. Yeah, yeah. Um, did all of that. I'm now working on my next bulk of work, which I'm not going to be tearing my face off again. <laughs> okay. I've learned like that was six months of my life, which I don't yeah. want to relive. Um, you got dedication. <laughs> yeah, well, it's the most committed I've ever been yeah. since rehab. Um, so it's. I mean, social media is not for me. I knew that before. I knew that now. But you still um, have social, right? Still have that yeah. just because there are things that are happening this year, which I have to be online for. But again, I'm not going to be doing it forever. So I just hope people can enjoy the content for what it is. Yeah. So I just want to make people think. And Will you keep doing the transformations? Still doing transformations. I mean, I've done 155. You've never done so, me. Well, well, <laughs> we shall tick that box off soon. Because <laughs> I think that's what you're also, you know, you're known and loved for that. And it would be Absolutely. sad if you if you didn't carry that on. Absolutely. I mean, I've done, I've done it 155 people. I can't think of anyone else. I know, that's the thing, isn't it? Where does it go once you've done all the great people? Well, the other like, a couple of months ago, I sat down to film one. I got halfway through and I was like, oh my God, I've already done Megan Fox. Oh, you didn't so realise, yeah. I forget who I've done now. So, yeah. um, But no, I'm doing a few, I'm working on a few videos at the moment. I'm recovering from surgery, okay. actual surgery, which no one believes me about. Yeah. Um, well, that is a lovely way to end this chat because it really heartens me to, to know that you're still doing your work, you're still being creative. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you're an artist, you're giving a gift to the world. Thank so, thank you for the gift that you you give thank to you. us and i'm going to keep following your work thank and you. following your socials do you want to shout out any of your socials for any people who want to follow you and see your stuff so on instagram it's the alexa stone and that carries through onto everything onto youtube and everything yeah. else yeah well thank you so much for coming thank to you. talk to me i feel like you've been so honest and open thank and... you i think we've got a it's the best trait you can be is just transparent yeah that's very good actually that's i guess that's your life lesson is it then for yeah. the audience be transparent be transparent yeah. Oh, I've loved talking to Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this, please help us spread the word. Rate and review the show where you got this or share on socials. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.